Thanks for tuning in to Solving for B, the podcast where we navigate the business of branding and marketing. In this week's episode, we'll discuss the importance of research in branding and explore different techniques you can use to inform a brand assessment. So settle in and enjoy the latest episode of Solving for B with Brand Extract. Hello and welcome in to this week's episode of the Solving for B podcast. I'm Chris Wilkes, digital content specialist here at Brand Extract. And today we're going to talk about the importance and value of brand research. Uh, to help me tackle this topic, I'm joined by President and CEO Bo Bodie. Hey. Chairman Jonathan Fisher. Hello. And Data Science Advisor from Rice University, Dr. Vikas Mittal. Hi. Um, so thanks for taking the time out today, guys. Um, uh, now, in our research um, and preparation for this episode, uh, we, we kind of realized that we have a fantastic example to guide us through the topic of uh, the, re- the importance of brand research. Uh, and that project is one of our more recent projects that we undertook uh, alongside a local adoption agency here in Houston called Arms Wide Adoption Services. Um, Formerly Spalding for Children, but uh, for a real quick 10-second um, you know, background on them, uh, they came to us last year and wanted help articulating the, the strategic goals of their organization. Um, and as we kind of worked through uh, our research process, it, it, pretty, it became pretty clear to us that, um, that they needed a rebrand. Uh, so, so we, we you know, went about helping them with that. So um, that's just a really high-level example of, of what brand research can do and, unco- and uncover. Um, but where I'd like to start, uh, and maybe we can talk a little bit about why brand research is, is so important and what's the value of brand research. Well, I think to start with, you know, when you go into any engagement, if the assumption is that your client knows exactly what they need, chances are there's going to be some oversights, some gaps, some missed opportunities, things that could be leveraged. So for us, when we start with an assessment, the idea is to go in with, you know, as broad a perspective as we possibly can to vet and validate what the client is asking you to look at or thinks they need to solve for. So I think that's one of the critical pieces to to research is sort of being open to the possibilities that you can uncover as it relates to the opportunity in front of you. Excellent. Um, so can you guys talk about, I mean, there's, there's quantitative and qualitative research, right? Can you guys talk about um, the, the understanding that both are necessary? Uh, can you talk about what role each plays, kind of where, what in the process? So, um, you know, so, so qualitative and quantitative research are sort of like your right eye and left eye. You know, so, so a big mistake a lot of companies make is they think that somehow one is a replacement for the other, right? So, so this uh, project was a perfect example of using both to the benefit of the ultimate goal of the, of the research. So the, the organization knew that Spalding was being confused uh, with the basketball company, and that caused some issues with the branding. Uh, you know, it's an adoption agency. And they had some ideas. So, so you know, the employees had some ideas, the, the, the management had some ideas, and, of course, the clients had some ideas. And qualitative research, which was done using lots of in-depth interviews, you know, we sat down with each of those three constituencies and we asked them what the issues are. You know, so, so it's obvious that the name is confusing. What, what would be some alternative names that you would desire, right? What are some of the properties in those names would you, that you would desire? What, what does the brand evoke for you? What is the ethos of the brand? 
So all of that stuff we gathered through qualitative research. Now that we have it, we need to go to the next step, which is what is the interrelationship among all of these, right? So it's, it's good to know that we have three names now. We don't know what percent of people like each name. That's where the quantitative research stepped in. So we did a national random sample and we you know, fielded all the names, the different associations with the names. And from there, we were able to paint a very clear picture for the client. Now, interestingly, there are a lot of companies that will jump right into just running a survey without qualitative research. So in this case, when the client asks, well, we really like the arms wide um, name, tell us more what kind of ethos does it present? Because we had already done a lot of qualitative research, we were able to go back to the in-depth interviews and give really good insight to the client. Um, in addition, I would say the, the, the huge benefit of conducting qualitative research is that you really get to talk to a lot of people, build a lot of bridges, and that really helps with the implementation phase because people have bought into the idea, they're more familiar, they don't see it as threatening, and they have some ownership of it. It's, it's, it seems like that is almost like a brainstorming part of, of mm -hmm. you know, really trying to, to, to hash out feelings and such. Yeah, well, and that's a big part of, you know, what we've done as branding experts. You know, the qualitative was always valuable to us to inform us of what, how people felt. I mean, you can, you can kind of see it and feel it as opposed to the research that gives you the data. When you combine that to the data, it makes it a lot easier to develop a name, come up with the ethos for the brand, the way it should look, the way it should feel, the way somebody is going to interact with it. Um, the one thing that Vikas has added is we've, we've been working together um, in the quantitative piece is taking that qualitative and making it real for the customer, right? What are they really saying? You know, we have a gut feel. And when you do the qualitative research, you have a gut feel for, oh, you know, they kind of prefer this or it's, they, fast seems important or, you know, fun seems important or serious seems important to the brand. But you don't know the degree to which those things are important. You know, you don't know how deep, how, how much fun or fast or, or, or safe really mean to the brand. And that's when you add the quantitative to it, when you add that kind of depth of research on top of the fact that that's repeatable. I can go and out, ask the same question again and again and again and get more feedback. You start to really understand the depth and the importance of the different variables or the different attributes of a brand. So so it sounds like at the risk of oversimplifying is that you, you use kind of this qualitative um, research methodology. And, and We'll talk a little bit about how you, you mine that or how you, you know, what's the process. But it sounds like you use that, um, that method to try to kind of pull these ideas. And then quantitative is about, like, solidifying that and making sure that putting the numbers behind the reasoning, behind the feeling, so to speak. Is that accurate? So one way to think about it is that qualitative research answers two very important questions, the what and the why. What are the core issues? Why are these the core issues, right? <laughs> and then quantitative research can further take those and then answer what percent. So what percent of people think this is a core issue? What are the interrelationships between these issues? And, and that's sort of the nice thing about using both of them.
in terms of um, creating a project, in terms of branding. And then I think in, as, as it's our job, from once we have all this data, the qualitative, quantitative, it's our job to, to then express that and, and, and create something that's going to speak to um, those concerns that have been borne out in, in the, the research. Yeah, different audiences are going to have uh, different weighting to what is their number one issue versus their number two issue. And is that weighting, you know, two degrees apart or is it 50 degrees apart? And that's not something you're going to get from the qualitative process. And so understanding that gap and that variability is where the insights come from the quantitative process. Yeah, we've, we've always told our clients, you know, because many of them don't have the, the desire, the discipline, maybe sometimes the budget to get deep in quantitative problem with that is, sure, we can get them 80% there, but that other 20%, you, you don't understand the degree, <laughs> the, the depth of, you know, how much somebody needs safety in this or how much somebody needs a personal touch in this. Or, you know, we're talking about an adoption agency. The assumption is, you know, they want everybody to be touchy-feely or that's, you know, those, you know, this kind of heartstrings kind of thing. But this is serious, is how deep are the different emotions there? And then to the point of you're talking about a really diverse group of people, they all have different opinions and thoughts on on the process and what scares them and what gets them excited about it and you know what they're worried about and what they're happy about and it, it would be easy to make some assumptions from qualitative data just from conversations the problem there is you just don't know to what degree the audience is going to you have to find those one or two things that people will grasp onto right so you have to the, the quantitative part it allows you to um, you know Think about what's or, or, or see in the data what's going to make the most impact with the most people. Um, so that's that's an interesting way to look at it. Um, so in this particular project, um, it it sounds I, I think there were there were four steps. There's four distinct steps. Um, can we talk a little bit about those those particular steps? Step one, I think the first step was kind of and it's the qualitative part of it, right? It's I, identifying the key issues and themes through qualitative re research. What, is, what did that look like or what, what in this process or just even anecdotally? Well, I think uh, for us when we go into the assessment process, there's an internal assessment. Uh, you know, talking with staff, we like to do a complete cross-section across any organization. If, if there are multiple locations, multiple offices, multiple departments, uh, tiers, uh, regions, international presence, whatever it might be. So you want to get a, a healthy cross-section of the organization because, as Vikas as said, it, it, it's going to engage the organization and it's going to culturally align the organization and they're going to, they're going to buy into that stakeholder process when you do it. But you're also going to get a healthy cross-section and a healthy set of perspectives from the organization top to bottom. Uh, I think too many people make the mistake of trying to do this just you know, within the C-suite, for example. Well, it's just here from the CEO and the CMO and the VP of sales or whatever it might be because they're the only ones that matter. And the truth of the matter is, is you know, that's, that's the ivory tower, rose-colored glasses, you know, emperor <laughs> syndrome that you, you have to be careful to watch out for. So I think that internal engagement is huge. And then, of course, the customer engagement um, is a big piece of this. Uh, but, you know, people forget to, to look at it in terms of, well, just existing customers, but what about past customers? What about uh, lost customers, right? Uh, what's a good customer? What's a bad customer? What is their perspective going to be like? Um, different types of prospects that are in the marketplace. So, you, again, you want that kind of good external perspective as well. And then for us as well, um, there's often a competitive analysis factor. <coughs> so understanding what the marketplace is doing and saying how other people may be organizing their products or services or their value-added benefits 
uh, their claims, their warranties, their service promises, whatever that might be. And that could also influence the survey design that you're going to put together for the quantitative piece. So I like to think of it as a three-legged stool uh, going into this process. Um, because if you know you take one of those legs off, you're going to end up with a bit of a wobbly, uh, you know, stool, and and you're potentially going to you know fall down at that at that <laughs> at that point. So I think the starting point is making sure that you have that good 360 uh, to inform what you're doing. Excellent. So so from the from step one, you know, we identify the key issues and themes through the, the qualitative research. Um, what's what's the next step once you've once you've kind of pulled out those ideas from folks? What or what's ideally the next step? Well, you know, in looking at kind of developing the brand names, and there are two things I think in, in this case, um, in the case study that we're talking about, the research happened on the names, um, but you can also use research and data in, in the front end to capture information on you know kind of what are the brand drivers, what are the real values that informs a creative team or a marketing team or you know anybody that's developing a name or concepting a solution or concepting a brand. You know that starts to get you more defined as well. But in this case, you know, out of this, these workshops, out of this information, we developed names, um, identities, thoughts, different kind of solutions that could work. Um, that then give you know the research team, you know, the the ability to go out and test, you know, these different pieces to see kind of who's doing what and you know who's who responds to what and how they respond to different things. And so. You know, considerations, you know, they're, they're the kind of professional considerations that we typically have as branding experts on the creative side um, and then on the positioning side as well. You know, how should this look, feel, sound? What is the positioning for that? How's that going to work? And then expressing it in a way visually um, and verbally if we're talking about names and testing names, um, you know, to make that work. So and and to be clear, this is still part of the the qualitative phase of of, of research, correct? Like this is, I mean, there or, or it's set, maybe it's setting up the quantitative, um, the the quantitative aspect of this. Right. So so I think um, so. Step two basically takes all the information from the qualitative research, and then distills it into what we can think of as, you know, test concepts. Like a hypothesis, for example. They can be hypotheses, or they can, in this case, for example, the test concepts were literally the four or five alternative names, right? Mm -hmm. so, so we have the existing name of the uh, organization, then we have, like, one or two competitor names, and then we have, like, two or three additional new names that we've thought of, right? So that's one, uh, you know, uh, sort of concept, right? Then the second... Uh, in, in step two, then the second thing we wanted to test was what are the different associations people have with these names, right? So in, in terms of like, you know, um, it, it, all the softer aspects of these names, right? Then the third thing, we wanted to get a sense of if the agency was named with any of these different names, what, we, what will be the likelihood of people to approach the agency, right? So, so this is the step two phase where all the qualitative research is then taken, and it's really tied back to what I would call the actionability of it, right? So qualitative research, really, a lot of times it looks like just you know, transcripts of interviews, right? So, so, the, you know, so the brand strategist has to go through all those transcripts, cull all of that information, and then create what we would call the testable solution kit, right? So that's phase two, right? <clears throat> 
And then step three, which what, what brand extract does differently is the quantitative testing. This is you know what Bo was talking about. You could do it through a hunch. Well, this kind of looks good. We mm -hmm. feel that this will work, or we think that that'll you know have a good uptake. But the difference here is with quantitative testing, we have the rigor now, right? So so we can tell you, for example, like fifty percent of the customers you know uh, prefer this, as opposed to eighty percent of the customers prefer that, right? So in this case, the difference between the uh, the the like liking and the usability and the uptake of the existing name versus the new name, right? And even the, 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 the was, was sort of like, you know, 20% to almost 90%. So it became a lot more obvious. And now you can think, right? So when the brand strategist takes the recommendations back to the uh, C-suite, back with all of this data, it makes their decision process easier. You know, and, and in fact, that did happen, right? So, so, so they looked at all the data and you know, so when Jonathan took all of this to them, they can actually see what has happened, right? So then that part, uh, what I would say in this case, step two becomes the linking pin between step one, which is qualitative, and step three, which is mm -hmm. quantitative. Excellent. And when you do that, you know, you're really reducing risk, right? Which is a big factor. And you know, whether it's a product, a service, uh, a corporate strategy, a corporate name that you're implementing, um, you want to minimize that risk as much as possible through the entire process because, uh, you know, risk costs you time, risk costs you money, risk costs you reputation, um, you know, it can cost you customer attrition. I mean, it, 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 you know, it can destroy a lot of things that you've got in your strategic roadmap and it can derail it. And so we want to, you know, protect that investment as much as possible and that's where I think, you know, some of this, the deep benefits come from the process of the, the quantitative measurements. And having, I mean, having done this, it's hard to even say this because I'm sitting here doing the math for 25 years. Um, most of, of my career has been in the qualitative, you know, you, so, you show logos to people, you show them the research you did to get to what you did, but there becomes this subjective kind of decision-making piece, right? When you add this step three, when you add the quantitative to it, it, Vikas was talking about it, it gives them confidence that they're making the right decision because a lot of, we're professionals, the work we do will work. You know, it's, it's well-informed. But there's a point when you put numbers behind it and you put data behind it and somebody's confident that 80% of the people that we talk to have a positive reaction or response to this name as opposed to the 20%, it both confirms their decision to make, to make the change it, to Jonathan's point, addresses the brand equity issue of are people are we going to lose or step back when we do this, and then it allows them to not have a have a substantive conversation about the decision, what that what works and what doesn't, as opposed to what they like and what they don't like, mm -hmm. um, and that I think is a critical. We've always talked about that with our clients, but adding the data behind that is a critical component to the decision making piece. It allows them to then. Vagas was talking about it earlier, adopt this, you mm -hmm. make it, no pun intended, <laughs> but, you know, take this and run with it as opposed to question themselves the entire time they're trying to do it. And I would like to be clear too, that there's, you know, there's multiple, multiple testing methodologies and there's multiple places you test, you know, any campaign or program, you know, there's AB testing, multivariant testing, consumer focus group testing, things like that. But a lot of those are downstream. Um, in the process. And so you've, you've already committed to your creative campaign budgets, your media spends, uh, you know, your product packaging, whatever it might be, your, your service collateral systems, your websites and whatnot. 
the testing we're talking about is much it's much higher level and it's earlier in the process, right? And I think that's where it really starts to have um, a cascading effect because the further downstream you test, the more investment, the longer the time, mm-hmm. the greater the risk, uh, the, the harder it is to sort of rebuild the foundation of the house, you know, you know. Absolutely. You know, um, this reminds me, like, so so we are in Houston, so it's a you know B two B type town. So in people almost always talk about this idea, like, do you want lower initial cost or do you want lower total cost of ownership? So I think, you know, this is the idea that if you can um, think through the qualitative and quantitative done together initially, in the long run, it really lowers the total cost Mm -hmm. of, of, you know, the branding exercise. Because, you know, Bo talked about this idea of um, repeatable, right? So, So now, for example, you know, arms wide, we already have a survey that has been designed. We have baseline metrics. So after a year or so, if they wanted to know how much did the needle move, so we've done all this branding exercises, we've invested in all kinds of things, how much did the needle move, and what does this mean for uh, number of calls received, all of those kinds of stuff, Mm -hmm. we actually have the basis. The benchmark. To to do that investigation and give them high-quality feedback so they can actually adjust not based on a hunch or anything else. They can actually adjust based on everything that they have done to actually measure the results. I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that that gets lost sometimes in, in, in research in general and brand research is this um, the, the, the value of having a benchmark to compare against. I mean, if, if you're looking to, to achieve specific outcomes, you have to know where you started, right? So this, this type of research can kind of tell you, you know, what your sentiment was for, for your initial brand as opposed to the new brand. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in this case, um, it's been obviously, you know, well thought out, well received. Um, so getting back to the, to the steps, kind of the final steps, um, the, the, I'm sorry, the final step is step four, which is uh, we finalize and kind of recommend. So that, to me, reading that seems like... Um, it's it's about interpreting the data, kind of putting putting actual um, uh, uh, statements to to what the data tells you. Um, is there anything in particular that you know we need to consider in this phase um, in terms of you know studying the researchers? It kind of you know, black and white. Take a look, pick the best one, and here you go. Um. So I I think what I've seen in my experience the the biggest mistake a lot of people make in step four. Uh, you know, if you've done the quantitative research, you have these glossy-looking, you know, bar graphs and pie charts and stuff like that. And so people kind of get beholden to that, and they forget that those graphics must be interpreted in light of all the qualitative learning that went into mm-hmm. creating those, right? So um, as much as I say this, few people do this, I always say, like, before you sit down to look at the quantitative results, go back and read the qualitative report. You know, it's, it's that piece that really helps you to understand the why. Like, so 80% of the people like this name or 90% of the people prefer this um, attribute. Going back to the qualitative will really help you to understand why this all was going on. That's and I think that really completes the picture. Yeah, that's fascinating. Well, when you, I think we, and we talked a little bit about in step three, you know, kind of finalizing and recommending. We talked about, you know, it, making this adoptable. I think to Vikas's point, the, the main thing that you want out of this is something that works, not just works, 
but it's something that the that that the organization and its consumers and the audience around it can consume, can can buy into, can can be a part of, and so that's not just a data point. You know, that's the emotion around it, and I think it, the the things that that people miss when they don't do both. You know, when they don't look at when they don't look at the qualitative and having the conversation and seeing how people react to things and and looking at the way they coldly, re- I mean, just kind of cold turkey react as opposed to manipulating those reactions and then looking at the data and taking your biases out of them and thinking about, okay, this is what the numbers say. How, how does that correlate to what we heard? You know, in the middle of that is how it works. And, and that being able to put that emotion with the, it, the factual information get, allows people to buy in. It allows people to really get into what we're doing. One of the key things, I think, at this stage to discuss with the team that you're working with at the time, whether it's the board, you know, our group of, you know, even third-party advisors that are also part of the team, is, is there anything in the data that we can't support? It might be the right claim to make. It might be the right name or emphasis or attribute to focus on a quality statement, uh, you know, a, you know, some attribute that the customers highly value. And so you, you see the executive team immediately jump on that and go, yeah, that's us. You know, yep, that's what we're going to be. But then you go back and read the, the qualitative statements that, that were informing the things you were testing. And what you realize is that there was all these gaps in the organization in terms of their, their service or their delivery methodologies or their pricing structures or, uh, whatever it might be. And, and so I think the critical statement that Vikas just made about going back and reading what was informing what you were surveying and then linking those pieces together, really connecting the dots, I think is the biggest discussion that has to happen and not just a conclusion that the data is the data and it's right and we should just implement regardless. Um, because you don't want to be making these moves or these changes in your brand, your positioning, your statements, your taglines, your service promises, whatever they might be, if you haven't operationally been able to deliver on them in the past. Uh, just because they're coming up now doesn't mean that you can support them. And I think that's an important piece to, to always focus on at this stage. I mean, I think that gets into the, the you know, th- these four steps are critical to getting something that's adoptable, that, that's right, you know, that works you know, for the organization, but there's still that, you know, can it work? You know, the, the, our own bias goes into this. You know, the, the pitfalls and the challenges that you can encounter in this are, you know, looking strictly at the data or, hey, look, I felt this whenever I was talking to something. You know, it's the combination of those two things, you know. And, I, you know, we have always had to take, you know, Vikas and his profession, Jonathan and I and ours, you know, we've always had to kind of take our own personal opinion out of things, not our personal insights, not our experiences, but you have to take a step back because you can really, you know, to Jonathan's point about talking to leadership and saying, hey, look, we want to be fast and the data can can render out the customer expects you to be fast. That doesn't mean your organization can deliver fast. Yeah. And so finding those things, taking your bias out of these these kinds of things, looking at these two things like with a clear mind um, it, they're really important, especially kind of in this stage, but also it, when you're at the beginning, you know, taking a step back and taking a deep breath. I think um, this goes back to this idea that <clears throat> realizing that branding is not a communications exercise. It may start with communications, but at the end of the day, branding is actually an implementation um, 
exercise, right? Both at the strategic level and mm. the tactical level, and basically, you know, configuring your um, value chain to deliver. Mm. And I think that's that's where a lot of um, companies, um, you know, uh, don't get it, where they keep thinking that this will all be about a campaign. Yeah, and I, it, it's absolutely not that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's yeah, that's something in in the research for this. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Mattal, you mentioned, and that that really resonated with me because I think we we struggle. Um, we sh- I say we struggle. We ha- we have these conversations with our clients, then and a lot of times they'll come in. I think, and you know, you guys, you speak to these guys more often, um, but. The clients will come in and say, "Hey, we need you know we need refresh messaging. We need a new look and things like that." And really, it's not, it's not about that. And, mm-hmm. and that might that could be the catalyst for this change. But really, we need to get down there and, and find out what's what's really going on. What makes your brand? What makes it tick? And and yeah, when you when you're evaluating a brand, you're evaluating all the opportunities. That's what you want to be open minded to. You know, um, don't go in with any assumptions. Don't go in well because I've done one engineering firm. Yours is going to be exactly like the next, or your pipeline company is going to be exactly like the next, or your medical device manufacturer is going to be exactly like the next. I think you have to assume um, that there is complete uniqueness in every organization, and that's the goal of the brand is to differentiate, right? So you have to find that uniqueness. You have to find it and capitalize on it, and they have to align that uniqueness with the marketplace so that it has relevance and that the, there is that connection. Excellent, excellent. Well, guys, this is this has been really, really great, super insightful. So thank you guys for taking out the time. Um, uh, we'll let you guys get back to your regularly scheduled day. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. Thank you. That's this week's episode of Solving for B. If you haven't yet, head over to iTunes or Google Play to subscribe to the show or connect with us at brandextract.com for the latest insights on branding and marketing. Thanks for tuning in to Solving for B with Brand Extract.